don't know about you, but we used to rob niggas for no reason. Before I got famous, you feel away, then come get even. I'm reeking. Older illegal, got dope for your needles. That sugar hill bag. Sold to your auntie, shit make me feel bad. Couldn't get them joys to go to school, shit made me real mad. Sign a death jam, talking pounds, and I probably still grab. You know what's up? The pistol black and the coke is cut. This ain't a beanie, it's a ski mask. I just rolled it up. Champagne interior, my wet colored the rover guts. Now I'm on college drinking douce out of coconut. What's up? What's good with it, everybody? We back again for another episode of the Pick and Roll Podcast, man. I sure hope y'all's weekend was a lot better than mine, because this was the most stressful weekend I done faced in a long time, man. Uh, But before we get into why, Sam, what's up, man? It was good, world. Man, ain't, ain't too much good with me right now. I'm going to go ahead and say that, mostly because of this past weekend, man. I, I couldn't buy a victory. Ain't none of my teams win this week. I think I you beat me in fantasy this week too. So it was just all around bad for me. About all like right. fifty. <laughs> yeah, man. I was in first place in that league maybe two weeks ago too, and it just took a turn. I ain't won in probably I think three weeks. I think I'm over three the last three weeks. But yeah, man. That's just that was just the uh, the last bit of why I was. I had a bad week, but I guess to to start things off, we'll go ahead and talk about the reason why my week started off bad, and that's because of my Buckeyes. They uh, not only did we take a loss, we we got smacked, like we got smashed. I had shades of that Iowa game from last year. So to start things off, man, how damaging do you see that loss for? For my Buckeyes, you think it's you think it's extremely damaging. You think it's over for them. What's your take on that, man? I mean, I can't write y'all off, but at the same time, um, it's not looking good. And um, I must say that that Michigan pick is starting to shape up to look real nice <laughs> for me over here. But um, yeah, it's, uh... you can't write y'all off yet because y'all still have the Michigan game and the Big Ten championship. So. Y'all still got two chances to make a chance. I mean, make make a statement, but it's going to depend on what everybody else around does. That's a fact. That's that's a fact. That's exactly what my take on it was. I'm uh, I'm not writing us off either. Our best hope is just to hope that Michigan continues to win, and hope that they rise in the rankings so that when we play them in the in the game, it holds a lot of weight. And like you said, a lot of teams ahead of us are, are have to lose. Now, I will say that with with Ohio State's loss, that pretty much just opened the floodgates for a Notre Dame team. Now they pretty much they control their own destiny. And last week, if uh, our viewers remember, we did talk about Notre Dame and how it was going to be extremely difficult for them to get in over certain teams. And now it's seeming like they're pretty much right there now. This. It would be extremely crazy if they didn't make it in and they won out, I would say. But as far as Ohio State, yeah, man, it's, it's looking like it, it might be over for our playoff hopes, which sucks because you really think about it. Let's say we dropped the game to Penn State. That was a, a nail-biter. Let's say we lose that. That bodes better for us than losing to a Penn – or, excuse me, a Purdue team this late in the season. It really hurts. We still got a few weeks left, but – even with that being said, I think that, that it's a huge stumble. It's a huge stumble. And 
we're going to need a lot of help. But as far as needing help, let's talk about some of those other teams that are ahead of Ohio State. Uh, you got Clemson, Michigan, and LSU all had uh, fairly tough games this week. Clemson played NC State. They pretty much put it on them. Michigan played Michigan State, which is always a tough game. It's a rivalry game. Um, they were on the road as well, I believe, in Michigan State. And they held Michigan State to under 100 yards of total offense. So that shows where their defense was. They were extremely dominant. And then you got a team at LSU who played Mississippi State, which looked to be a pretty tough game. Nobody really knew how uh, LSU would bounce back after beating Georgia and all of the things that have gone on with them and losing to Florida. And it seems to me that they're pretty much ready and geared up for an Alabama team that they'll see, not this week, but next week. But my question to you is, out of those games that I just spoke on, which game do you think spoke most spoke the most volume as far as the team was concerned? Um. I think they were all big-time statement wins, but I'm going to have to go with LSU. Um, They just keep adding ranked wins to their resume. Majority of them are top 10 wins. Uh, Mississippi State wasn't top 10, but it still was a ranked team. And it just keeps – it just keeps – they just keep on impressing me every time they play a good team. I mean, yeah, I got to give it to LSU. Yeah, that's – That defense is spooky. Yeah, that's a great point because – not only is LSU dominating the, these teams or beating these teams, should I say, they're dominating these teams. It's not just like they're barely beating teams. They're beating teams by a sizable margin and not just ordinary teams. Like you said, they're beating top 10 teams, uh, tough conference opponents, high-ranked teams, and they're, they're beating them decidedly. So, to me, that that strengthens their resume as well. If you really look back to their to their games, they don't really have too many close games outside. Of, I believe that Auburn game. They don't have too many close games with teams that are ranked. Like it, it seems like they come into the game and pretty much control it for the majority of the time. So I'll have to say as well, I'm going to say LSU mostly because with the team like LSU heading into what they're about to head into this, these games now are extremely pivotal and you don't have time to have games where it goes down to the wire. Or you take nights off. Like it, at this point in the season, you want your team to be ready for any task at hand. And it looks to me like LSU is every bit of ready for this Alabama game. Now, granted, the biggest thing heading into this Alabama game is that both of these teams have a bye week this week, if I'm not mistaken. So they both get an extra week to work on their opponent. And you know how Alabama gets down when they have a, a nice, sizable time to prepare for an opponent. I I expect Nick Saban and company to throw every coverage possible at Joe Burrow to really test and see just how good Joe Burrow really is at reading coverages and whatnot. But that's definitely a game I'm looking forward to. I'm kind of upset that we got to wait two weeks for it. But yeah, I can't. I can't wait to see that game. I can't wait to see Tua against that defense. Yeah, man. That's. I feel like I don't. I don't think Tua is going to struggle too much. That defense is super solid, but I feel like Tua is just going to go out there and do what he does. The biggest thing to me is going to be. I hope that they don't try to 
you know, do what they've been doing and get, letting both quarterbacks play against an LSU defense like that because you don't want one of your quarterbacks or either of your quarterbacks if you're going to use them both. You don't want them to lose a rhythm against a defense like that because one stumble could be extremely detrimental. You go out there and you ball, you got a good, have a good series, and then the next series, coach is like, all right, we're going to go ahead and throw the other quarterback in there. By the time you get back in there, that defense might be revved up by then. So the defense that you saw on your first successful drive is not going to be the defense you see on that third drive, and that's for sure. But right. yeah, I, I'm 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 excited for that one too, man. I'm I can't wait. I can't wait. I, that's probably the game that I'm most excited to see in this entire um, college football season. Mostly because if our viewers or our listeners, should I say, if they remember. I, this is the game that I called Alabama to lose on. And it's starting to look like that just may be the case. But we'll we'll have to see, man. We will have to see. But as far as the SEC, let's stay there a little bit. Let's talk about a game that we we actually get to see this week, which is Florida at Georgia. Now, this is also another game that is, for lack of a better word, colossal as far as the SEC pitcher is concerned. Both of these teams are still fighting to make a make the playoff. They both have one loss, and they're both not only fighting to make the playoff, they're fighting for the SEC championship bid as well. So what uh, what are your expectations heading into this Florida-Georgia game? What's, what are you expecting to see from either, either ball club? Uh, I think this is going to be a, a very interesting game. Um, I think it's probably going to be an ugly game. Um, but since it's a neutral site, I, I'm taking Georgia in this game, even though it's in the game still in Florida. It's in what Jacksonville. Yeah, right? I believe so. Playing Jacksonville, but the neutral site is just something about their Florida Georgia game. It's always going to be a close one, but. I'm yeah. I think I think Fromm and that offense make just a couple plays in that game to get them to get them to W in a close one. Yeah, I think as far as that preview goes with me, I'm expecting both teams to come into this game um extremely excited for the fact that it is the Florida Georgia rivalry. That in itself brings a whole different merit to the game, but with Everything at stake in this game, that's going to make it even more of a battle. And I think, like you said, I think it's going to be an ugly game, but I think it's going to be ugly for the reason that both of these teams are going to be so anticipating the other team. They're going to be so excited to get back to get out there and play in a game that holds this much weight in a environment that they'll in the environment that they'll be playing in and I think that'll lead to a lot of jitters a lot of early game turnovers whether it be fumbles uh, special team issues maybe block punts missed field goals anything I just think that this game is going to be uh, it's going to be ugly because of the jitters and the excitement that this game will bring but yeah it's going to be high intensity. Definitely. I think this is probably the most anticipated Florida-Georgia rivalry in a very long time because yeah. both of these teams have been good at separate occasions but never at the same time in a very long time, especially Florida. Yeah, I, can't remember. 
I can't remember the last time it's been one that's been this big. Yeah, this is colossal. This is a really big Florida-Georgia rivalry. But as far as my pick, I'll get to that a little later. But I am expecting it to be a, a ugly game, a, a very tight game, and it's going to go down to the wire as far as I'm concerned. Maybe it may even go down to last possession, game-winning field goal by one of the teams is what I'm expecting. But I'm I'm definitely I'm I'm looking forward to that one too. That's definitely a game this weekend that I'll be tuned into. Probably the one that I'll be tuned into most. There aren't too many other games that uh hold as much weight as this one this week. So that's that's definitely one that I'm looking forward to. But um let's switch gears a little bit. Let's let's touch on the uh NFL. Now, the trade deadline is slowly approaching. It's about a week from today, so um with that being the case, certain teams are going out and making moves, and some of these moves are are looking to be, um, look they're looking for these moves or these trades to be season changing, and one of the teams that that's already made a move that's pretty much been the biggest move that we've seen in a trade since Khalil Mack. Uh, being Dallas adding Amari Cooper, they traded a first round draft pick from next year's draft for Amari Cooper. Now, this is a guy who hasn't really lived up to his expectations thus far. He had a, a pretty good rookie year, but since then, he's been extremely subpar. The Cowboys, as everybody knows, they've struggled with receiving production the entire year so with that being the case do you think that adding a guy like Amari Cooper who hasn't really been what he's supposed to be do you think that was a good idea or what exactly do you think that means for Dallas by adding a guy like Amari Cooper yeah I I think it was a good idea um I think it was a good idea because um, you you got to see who Dak Prescott really is for one, because he's coming up on the payday soon. So you got to you got to get him a, a number one to see what he's looking like with the number one receiver. I mean, you can't you can't see who he is when you when he's got three number three guys to throw the ball to. So I think that it's going to help them evaluate Dak, and if they call the right plays then I think it could be beneficial for the Cowboys as well. I think it's going to make y'all a better football team if he's going if they're going to call the right plays and run the right type of right right type of plays to let Dak be successful. Yeah, that that's the biggest thing, man. It's we've talked about it for the last couple of weeks. It's almost me being a Cowboy fan, it's extremely sickening to watch and see how the Cowboys are going about their play call. And it's almost like uh, I actually said on Facebook, a lot of the Cowboy fans are like, Dak is sorry, Dak's shitty, Dak this, Dak is that. But they are – people. most people that are saying are the people who don't know football that well. You can't just go out and say a guy is trash when your offense – your offensive play calling does not suit you for one. And for two, like you said, he's throwing to a whole bunch of number three receivers. And then on top of that, he's struggling with this offensive line. This offensive line is good, but people are failing to realize how big of a loss Travis 
Travis Frederick is at that center. That's a Pro Bowl center, one of the best centers in the NFL. And a lot of people don't understand that when it comes down to blocking assignments and when you come to the line and they think the quarterback makes all of the calls with the audibles, that is not the case. It's the center who's telling everybody where to go as far as the line. Double down here. Double down there. Here comes the blitz left. Here comes the blitz right. Mike is here. Mike is there. That's the center. He's the one doing a lot of that. And you take away a guy like Travis Frederick and expect Dak to be extremely successful, it's not going to happen. It's definitely not going to happen. And with that being said, I I feel like this Amari Cooper thing could be good and it could be beneficial for both parties because as many people know Amari Cooper's most successful season was when they could get that run game thriving when Marshawn Lynch was really looking good down there but uh, the games that Marshawn Lynch didn't look the best and uh, Latavius Murray I believe was their running back before Marshawn Lynch uh, I believe Amari Cooper's rookie year maybe but that has that was the last time that you really saw him emerge as a factor, but now that they don't have much of a run game, I I don't think that that was I think that that hurt him a lot. I think I think that a majority of his struggles is Derek Carr based. That too, that too. But then you also have to take into account that he's going from a quarterback who's struggling to another quarterback who's not looking stellar either. So true, true. Do you think that 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 will be another issue. Do you think that that will play more into us calling Amari Cooper a bust as opposed to him actually not being in a situation that benefits him? I mean, I don't say you could call him a bust, though, right now. I mean, he's been in the league, what, four Three, years? Four, Three. yeah, four, four. And he made two Pro Bowls. So, I mean – Where's the bus talk coming from? I don't. I mean, he's been struggling. Don't get me wrong, but I think that was more towards the quarterback than him actually struggling. Because you got to think he getting a lot of double teams. That's true. And you playing with a struggling quarterback. It. it I, I think. I think that this could be good for for Dak and good for the Cowboys. The only other thing I do have to say about um, this situation for Dak Prescott is it adds some pressure to him in his situation. That's a fact. That is because a fact. Now, now you can't hide behind the fact that you don't have a number one receiver because majority of people really feel like Amari Cooper's still a number one, I, I, me included. I think that he can still be successful. I think he can too, especially with it being so early in his career. Yeah. So which, with Dak having him at his disposal now, now people aren't going to be as dismissive of his – his struggles passing the football. That's true, but even with that being said, like you already touched on, Dallas has struggled immensely with play calling. And now that you add a guy like Amari Cooper, we all know that Dak isn't a pass-heavy guy. Dak isn't a guy that can go down the field extremely often. He thrives on certain situations where he throws the deep ball, but I feel like adding a guy like Amari Cooper could add a dimension as to where they feel like, okay, well, now we're going to pass the ball a lot more. And you um, you touched on a very good point with Dak expecting a, play, a payday soon. It, it's coming. 
excuse me, for the simple fact that the team is now his and Zeke's. It's it's theirs. So with that being the case, Jerry Jones is a guy who we just don't really know where he stands as far as being in Dak's corner. He's never come out and said how much he's praised or how much he likes Dak the way that he did for Romo or former quarterbacks or even Jason Garrett for that matter. But I wouldn't be surprised to see a situation or a scenario to where they put even more pressure on Dak to throw the ball now that they're having Amari Cooper just so Jerry Jones can look down the line in a year or two and be like, well, I mean, you haven't been really as effective as we needed you to be, so I'm sorry we can't offer you that kind of money. Like, it, it that could be the situation here. I could see Jerry Jones putting him in a situation to fail as far as not being what everybody's expecting him to be or at least making it look that way because of the play calling and the pressure that they're putting on him. Everybody knows that the workhorse of this offense should be Ezekiel Elliott. That should be the focal point of this offense. And Dak should be able to play off of that. Well, with them not being able to get the run game going as often as they are used to, they're starting to go away from it. Like Zeke, once he doesn't, once he has a couple of carries and it doesn't look good, they stop giving him the ball after a while and put the offense in the Dak's hands. But everybody knows that Zeke is a guy who wears defenses down. So about a fourth quarter, you have to continue to feed that animal. You just have to hope that you're in the game still. And with the way the defense has been playing, they've they've been doing pretty good. So I don't know. I just I feel like this may be a situation where Jerry Jones may be looking at it from a, a long term standpoint. Like, well, I'm not really trying to give him all this money, so. I'm going to go out here and make him look like a failure. I'm going to keep him around because I feel like he's a good guy, but I don't – I'm going to put him in a situation to where he can fail. That's that's a, a portion of where I see it heading. But nevertheless, well, that, I, it could be successful take, for both. That take makes more sense than the play calling that y'all have been doing. Yeah. That's I – mean, that, will, that will put all that shitty-ass play calling into perspective. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you you have to look at it from some point of view because after a certain point in time, obviously fans, players, everybody, the entire organization and fan base should be fed up with the way that the play calling has been displayed at this point. And Jerry Jones said uh, a couple of weeks ago, I believe, came out and said, uh, I have no, no issue with what Jason Garrett's doing. He's going to take us to where we need to be taken. So with, y'all still in position to um, make the playoffs, though. We, I mean, y'all can still win the division. That's a fact, but that's also a, a testament of how shitty our division is right now. Not not so much as to where we are as a ball club, because regardless if we win the division or not, if we keep playing the way we're playing, we're going to get in the playoffs and get our asses whooped, no matter who we play. True, and nobody's talking Super Bowl and that's, when it comes to Dallas. Exactly, players. and that's that's the biggest issue. It's like making the playoffs is cool, but you're looking at a team that just went 13-3 and three two years ago, a team that last year didn't meet expectations mostly because of the Ezekiel Elliott cloud hanging over the ball club. But now you don't have any of those issues. There's not an Ezekiel Elliott suspension looming. You know what, what week in, week out, what you're going to have. So what's your excuse now? There, I mean, there's nothing else to – you can't blame it on the defense anymore because the defense is looking like the best part of our ball club. So now you don't went out and spent all that money on your offense 
and all of them draft picks on your offense, and your defense is leading you now. So what is the real issue here? Now it's put more pressure on the organization, more pressure than it has been in a long time. So I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. But uh, let's touch on another thing. We've touched on Dallas for a while. Let's touch on another uh, another scenario that's going on that's beginning to play out. Now the trade deadline is it's approaching, as I've already said. So there are a lot of rumblings and a lot of things that are playing out. One of the major things is Patrick Peterson, which caught me a little bit off guard. Patrick Peterson has come out and said that he wants out of Arizona. What What do you think is going on there? Because that caught me off guard. Was that is that something that you were familiar about or anything? Because it just to me that it literally came out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean it came out of nowhere to me too, but it doesn't really surprise me. I just think it's just about winning. I mean, I just think he he feels like he's getting to that age. To he's not old by any means. He's twenty eight, but I mean, he's he's ready to contend for championships. He wants to he wants to play in the playoffs and play for chip. They're one and six. I mean, I just think he's tired. He's fed up. Yeah, I mean, I can I, I can agree with that. They've been good a couple times, but they haven't really been a contender since he's been there. Yeah, that's a fact. That's a fact. They haven't been a contender at all, and. It's looking like at one point in time that defense was extremely stellar. Then you see guys like Tyron Matthew leave and get traded, and now it's almost like he's the only thing left on the defense. And this season, to me, I don't feel like they know exactly what they want to do. They have a guy in Larry Fitzgerald who they're trying to make sure that he his accolades and his stats are where they need to be before he decides to leave. It's more of a, a – um, we owe him this. He's been here this long, and let's make sure that he goes out on the high foot, almost like a farewell tour for him because he's playing good, but everybody knows that the end is near. And then you also have a, a quarterback in Josh Rosen that oh, he he <laughs> he's not looking like the guy that they will need him to be. Granted, me as critiquing him coming in I figured it was going to take him some time to get there if he ever did because I like Josh Rosen I just think there's a lot of pressure on him coming into this situation but like you said Patrick Peterson is a guy who he's given them his all year in year out he's been one of the best D-backs in the league if not the best D-back in the league and he doesn't have anything to show for it as far as being able to compete on a higher level he hasn't been on a playoff team like since he's been there so it's like it's time for a change and the rumblings that I'm hearing right now are that Philadelphia is looking to get him yep it's it's New England New Orleans and Philly that are interested right now and I mean we know Philly's known for jumping out the gym to get to to make deals they don't mind giving up a bunch of picks they did it for wins that's a fact I could see I could see him. I think they number one. I agree. I think that they're definitely number one, seeing as their struggles and what's going on there, which I don't really understand. We'll touch on that here in a little bit. But you also got to be sneaky. I mean, that sneaky New, Eng- New England team, they're known yeah, for grabbing so like they got, under they the got radar. Two. They got one number one, they got two number twos, and they got three number threes. So they, so they got, got, they got to play. Yeah, with. they got some stuff to divvy out in. 
right now that's a team who's looking. They're clicking. And you know they love having that lockdown corner. So And the thing about Peterson right now, too, is he's he's still got two years left on his deal. Yeah. And and it's not that much. Exactly. It's eleven nine the first year and thirteen two the second year. So that's not even that much. Exactly. So it, for a couple for a couple picks, that's a steal for real. For whoever he get whoever gets him. The question is, what's he going for? Yeah, that's that's another thing. I feel like um I feel like Arizona's gonna want a nice little amount for him. They're gonna want yeah, some y'all just, y'all just change the market. Yeah. I agree a hundred percent. But I mean you look at it like this. I feel like you can almost take New Orleans out of the scenario, seeing as they just grabbed Eli Apple today. They've also yeah. got Marshawn Lattimore down there. So they're pretty they're pretty good as far as their uh D back core is concerned. And adding a guy like Patrick Peterson would it it would bolster it like <laughs> almost juggernautly. Like it would be Extremely unfair to have a Patrick Peterson on one side, Marshawn Lattimore on the other side, Eli Apple over the top. It would be crazy. But that's why I feel like you take them off the market a bit. But like you said, it it depends all on what he's going for. And I feel like with him having two years in his contract and it not being as much like how you said, it, it's not a lot for a team to take on. They're going to want something – some major in return for that. And like you said, New England, they've got a lot to play with. So it wouldn't surprise me if they came out on top with this scenario. We've, we've seen them make splashes already, like with Josh Gordon. Like that was a huge uh, under-the-radar type pickup. Everybody was waiting for him to be released. And right before he could be released, New England swoops in like, nope. We ain't letting him go on the market. We're going to trade you. Here you go. You can have something for him. And they grabbed him. So I can see something like that happening with Patrick Peterson. Before they can even give another team to have the opportunity to play on him, I wouldn't be surprised to see Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick like, let's get it. Bring him down here. Let's get him down here this week. See what we can do. So it it could be, you know, something there. But, I mean, you also look at, other teams who they're not really talking about that need a, a quarterback. There are a lot of teams out there that need cornerbacks, and I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you. I would love for us to make the move. Of course, you would. It's not like we need. Them, <laughs> of I course, mean, you not? would. <laughs> <laughs> why not? Yeah, I mean, it would make sense for y'all. It would. I mean, like. Like you said, why not? Our, as as potent as our offense is, let's shake it up even more and let's go get him. As he's a division guy, so let's go grab him anyway. That would it. it would be it, that man. I don't even want to think about that happening. We gonna wake up to that news in the morning. <laughs> if we wake up to that news, man, I don't know. I, I don't know. Something going on with the NFL. If that shit, <laughs> <laughs> they got it all written in the stars for the for the Rams to win it all. But uh, a team that I'm that I wouldn't be surprised to see go out and get him uh, would be, I mean, a team that I mean they've already they already look extremely stellar. 
that we've already said that their defense is looking like it's taking a step to be the extreme contender, and that's Chicago. It really would not surprise me to see Chicago go out and grab him. Because, I mean, you really think about it, what is Chicago missing? I mean, they're missing a lockdown corner. They have good corners, but do they have that lockdown corner that Patrick Peterson brings? And then you're also putting him into a situation where he honestly feels like, yeah, this is a team that I can see a future with. I can definitely see myself being down here because we're going to be contending in a couple years. And you add a guy like Patrick Peterson, they're instant contenders next year. If Mitchell Trubisky continues to play the way he's playing, they're instant contenders right now. Like, let's go. And they've got a lot of young guys that they could probably give up to go grab a Patrick Peterson. And you you couple that with a, a draft pick, oh, yeah, let's go. Let's make it happen. I feel like they'd be ready to sell their soul as far as draft picks are concerned because they're not going to be looking to draft anything. They're already pretty much loaded up. Yeah, that'd be special too if he could get down there. But I just, I think he's ready to contend now. Yeah, I can see that. Send him down there with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is always needed in extreme defense as well. But I mean, like you said, I feel like the best. The best scenario for him at this point is probably New England. That's going to put or you in Philly. a situation. Philly is cool, but Philly is – they're going through a lot right now to where you're leaving a situation of extreme struggle to a situation where the team is struggling and they don't, they don't even – they're not even supposed to be. So I feel like with a team like New England, not only are you stepping into an instant contender, a team that goes to the playoffs every year, a team that you know is going to put you where you need to be as far as the postseason is concerned. You're also going to play with one of the best quarterbacks in the game, and you're also playing excuse me, with the arguably the best organization in the NFL. So it's a great situation. And a team that's looking good right about now, they're clicking right now. New England is. Yeah, their defense is struggling a little bit, so they could definitely use them. I agree. I definitely. Wherever agree. he's going to end up, it's going to have to be soon because trade deadlines in a week. Exactly, a week from today. So I'm expecting to see moves. But before we touch off, before we get off uh, the trade deadline, I want to ask you this quick question: With the trade deadline pretty much coming to an uh, coming to a near. Do you think that we'll see a play on Le'Veon Bell before the trade deadline? Uh, nah, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think they're just going to keep him. Woo! I see a team making a move. I see a team – I'm just going to go ahead and say it because – I mean, if it happens, I don't want to just be like, man, I knew that shit was going to happen because people are going to be like, how the hell would you know that that was going to happen? I see, just to go ahead and put it in the air, I see Philadelphia making two blockbuster moves to bolster their team back to where it needs to be. I see them making trades to grab Le'Veon and Patrick Peterson. Damn. And they've got the ammo to do it. You look at what they've already what they already have defensively they're extremely stacked defensively so they can let a defensive player go they can let a draft pick go 
offensively, they need Le'Veon Bell. So I can see them giving up something major. With with where their offense is, I wouldn't be surprised to see them give up one of their receivers because none of their receivers are guys to where they can't they can't they just can't lose them. There's nobody on their offense outside of Carson Wentz and Zach Ertz that I feel like is not disposable. Especially Nelson for Aguilar. and that's the thing. Nelson I feel like Nelson Aguilar has star potential. So for that particular reason, I can see them getting rid of a guy like an Alshon Jeffrey that nobody's expecting them to deal out. They can get rid of an Alshon Jeffrey to somewhere like um like Arizona for the simple reason why because Arizona's looking for another guy. They've got Larry Fitzgerald. They need a guy, like a young guy, and Larry Fitzgerald can mentor that young guy. So it wouldn't surprise me if they busted that move to get rid of Aguilar, <clears throat> grab Patrick Peterson for him, and then couple of either a defensive player and a draft pick or whatever else they want to give up for a Le'Veon. And <laughs> you're right back in you right back where you need to be. You're right back in the driver's seat. So it really no. wouldn't surprise me to see those two those two guys end up in Philly. Driver's seat of what? That Y'all's division? You're damn right. Oh, yeah, okay. I thought she was talking about the NFC. Oh, that bad boy. That that chicken's pretty much won. It doesn't matter what happens from here on out. In order for you to make it to the Super Bowl from the NFC, it's going to have to go through Los Angeles. And that's not to say that's not to say that they won't like nobody will beat y'all. But all I'm saying is when it comes down to going to the Super Bowl. In order for you to get there, you're going to have to go through Los Angeles. Whoever beats Los Angeles, they'll beat Los Angeles and Los Angeles. That's just how it's going to go. Yeah. Nobody else is going to get home field advantage. So, y'all pretty much got that bad boy sold up, I feel like. But at the same time, I mean, like I said, Philly busts a move like that. Now the, the attention's back on them. But we'll see how that goes. But as far as Philly, man, let's let's touch on them a little bit. Let's talk – Let's stay Philly for a brief second, man. Anybody who watched football this weekend, <clears throat> I actually tuned into this game in the fourth quarter. I tuned into this game. Philadelphia was up 17 to 0. Me too, man. Me too. <laughs> 17 to 0 against Cam Newton and the Carolina Panthers. Mind you, they were in Philadelphia. So Philly was at home up 17 zip. So I'm like, Fuck, just when I thought Philly was going to take a little stumble, they didn't bounce back. They look like they're ready to start to take the division by by its neck. You know, my Cowboys got a pivotal game with the Redskins on the, on the menu in a couple of hours. Philly ends up losing that game 21-17. 21 unanswered points. Um, Greg Olsen scores the game-winning touchdown, one-yard touchdown pass. But regardless of how uh, Carolina won that game, let's talk about how the hell Philadelphia lost that game. You're up 17-0 against a team who can't find any type of offense at all. And now all of a sudden, this team just has your defense's number. What went on in Philly for that debacle to happen? What did you see from your point of view that just looked like 
man, these boys then lost after being up 17-0. What was going through your mind when you was watching that game? For one, they couldn't get a stop. And then even when they was down 21-17, to they had a chance to win that game. Uh-huh. Carson Wentz, I don't know what the hell he was thinking. <laughs> but it's third and two <laughs> on like the 15-yard line with like 30 seconds to go or something, something like that. He throws in the triple coverage in the back of the end zone. <laughs> when he had to run it back wide open for a check down to get the first down to give himself four more chances to score. Like, bro, I don't understand what he was thinking. I don't know why he did it. It should have got picked off. He lucky the safety dropped it. He got another chance, but then he took the sack and got fumbled. And fumbled. Game time. I mean, I don't I can't. I don't know what their issue is, but it is something off with them, though, man. I can't quite put my finger on it either. I love it, but at the same time, it's like I'm. I'm curious to know exactly what's going on because it's not that much of a drop off from last year. Like you don't have that much missing. Like I understand that you're going through a little bit, but then you have the emergence of guys like a Zach Ertz who's taking his game to another level. He's looking like he's ready to be the focal point of that offense. And the defense that's supposed to be stellar, and like you said, they couldn't get a stop. But you had stopped this team the entire game. But here comes the fourth <laughs> quarter, and now you can't get a stop. I don't understand. I don't understand where the lack of consistency is with that defense. As as talented as that group is, there's no way that a team should just be able to turn it on like the way that the uh, Panthers did. It almost looked like making some plays. That's true. He's always been that type of guy to where when it comes time to make a play. You can count on the Cam Newton because, like you said, there were a, there were some crucial possessions. There was one possession where uh, I want to say, yeah, it was when they uh, might have been a, the game winning drive. Was uh, it like the third on that third and fifteen? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. It was. It was that game winning drive. Dude draped all over him. Yes, exactly. He was a laser. Those are the Cam Newton signature moments. But for that reason, you know what you have on the other side as far as uh, Philly's defense is concerned. You know you're going up against a Cam Newton. So you can't even give this guy that opportunity to have that game-winning drive. That is not supposed to happen. Granted, um, Carolina's defense stepped up and made some extremely crucial tackles. There were a couple of plays where they were maybe an inch away from picking up first downs by linebackers like Luke Keekley tripping up a running back um, on screens and just sniffing out plays and making key open field tackles that led them to win that game. But like, like I was alluding to, I just don't understand how you can get a team have a team's number the entire game, and then the fourth quarter, you just, like, you don't know what to do with their offense. Granted, I will give a lot of credit. I don't want to make this all about Philly because Carolina did a great job of sticking it out and finding offense in a critical time. Like, the touchdown that they scored, the first touchdown they scored was a a, a reverse 
to Curtis Samuel, uh, also a Buckeye. I'll just go ahead and throw that out, that out, throw that out there. But the play calling on that particular play was extremely stellar. That was a beautiful play call. And it's moments like that that win you games, gives your team a little bit of a boost to get them back to where they need to be. So definitely a tip of the hat to Carolina's play calling because that was stellar. And they did a lot down the stretch to where, uh, like Greg Olson scores the game-winning touchdown. He wasn't effective the entire game. But when it was time and they needed a big play, they went to their guy. They counted on their guy. So they did a great job of coaching, but Philly's got a lot going on down there. And I'm not – like you said, I don't. I can't quite put my finger on it either. But that's <clears> – <throat> to me, that's even more of a reason for them to go out and make, bust a move, whether it be just Le'Veon or just Patrick Peterson. You got to do something at this point. And I feel like the the smart decision in, in this particular situ- situation or scenario, you got to go get Le'Veon right now. I feel like Patrick Peterson is – Definitely somebody that you could that you could use, but you need a Le'Veon Bell right now. You need that. Your defense is okay. You're okay. Your offense isn't looking what it needs to look like, and a guy like Le'Veon could just be enough to alter everything in Philadelphia. But yeah, they definitely need to make a move for Le'Veon. But I don't, I, I think I don't know. I don't. I don't understand why if you gonna make a move for him, why you would have waited this long. That's why I don't understand. I think it was more of a waited. They waited this long because I don't think that they actually felt like they needed Le'Veon. And now that they're seeing that they're struggling much more than they expected to, even with even with them losing the running back and Jay Ajayi and all of the issues that they're going through down there, I don't think that they expected it to be this colossal. I feel like they thought like, okay, well, yeah, we might struggle a little bit, but. We'll be all right. We'll by the time mid season comes, we'll be where we need to be. And I think now they're to the point where like oh, we might not be where we need to be in mid season, and we have the opportunity to do something. Like we've been talking about trading for Le'Veon for the longest, but now it's almost we have to. You either have you either do it or you don't. Now is it's with the trade deadline coming up. You either have to make a move now or everything that y'all talked about as far as Le'Veon is concerned was pointless. Why was you even talking about it? Because you didn't go through with it. Yeah, they it's a it's a point now where they have to make a move. Then you got to. There's no if ands or buts about it. If you don't make a move for Le'Veon, what else, what are you doing? Yeah, I agree. It's time now. it's time, but um, that's enough for the NFL, man. Let's 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 switch gears. Let's talk to, let's talk NBA. Let's talk basketball since it is officially basketball season. The most uh I guess popular topic as far as basketball is concerned is that that Rockets Lakers brawl that we saw. That's typically <laughs> typically you see fights, but you don't typically see fights out of guys like a, a Chris Paul or uh Rajon Rondo, you don't see guys of that caliber fighting. You like real punches. Right. Like movie. they were really fighting. You don't see that. Last time we saw a big name guys fight like that was the the brawl at the palace. <laughs> <laughs> so what uh? What do you make of that whole situation? Now, those who don't know, 
uh, apparently or allegedly Rondo spit on Chris Paul. Chris Paul puts his finger into the forehead of Rondo. Rondo responds by punching Chris Paul in the jaw. Chris Paul responds by uppercutting Rondo. So they're really full-fledged fighting. And then out of nowhere, Brandon Ingram comes in there and throws, <laughs> <laughs> throws haymaker. A, a haymaker. He tried to knock Chris Paul's head off. Granted, he missed. But regardless of the situation, he had nothing to do with that particular altercation. And oh, comes even in. He did start it all. Though. He did. Well, he didn't start that particular altercation, but he well, was he the reason the why the, the whole melee yeah. started. Uh, he, he just got mad because Harden bullied him but, and got the M1. But that's the thing. Harden did, he didn't get an M1 on that, and that's why Harden was upset. And that's why he was going to the ref to ask, and that's why Brandon Ingram pushed him. He They wouldn't even cross paths at James Harden not be looking for the M1. But um, I rarely agree with Stephen A. in, in cases, but I definitely agree with him in this case by saying what James Harden did to Brandon Ingram could have easily been an offensive foul. It wasn't just a typical um, bump you and try to get this and one. He threw a lot of weight into Brandon Ingram, and that's why I feel like that's why Brandon Ingram was so upset. Was like it wasn't so much as James Harden did anything. Uh, malicious or it was malicious intent with him. I just feel like James Harden is a lot bigger and a lot stronger than a lot of people think. So with a typical move to the hole like James Harden did, with a typical player, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been as big as it was. But he really looked like he bullied Brandon Ingram. Yeah, that's and what I said. That's, Brandon Ingram, I feel like it hurt his pride more than anything. Like I feel like he expected a little bit of a nudge from James Harden, but not as much as James Harden gave him. So that's why Brendan Ingram was pissed off, and that's why he just like, fuck it. If they over here fighting, I'm fighting too. So <laughs> uh, for those who don't know, Brandon Ingram got a four-game suspension, Rondo three-game suspension, and Chris Paul two-game suspension. What's your take on the suspensions? Do you think that they're fair? And what's your take on the overall situation? Do you think that um, there was a need for any of that for the suspensions. No, not the suspension. The uh, I guess the entire altercation. No, the suspensions. Think, suspensions were definitely necessary. Yeah, the suspensions were definitely necessary. I thought they actually would have got suspended for longer. I agree, but I mean, I'm not mad at the mad at it because they all are around. They get all got a equal suspensions basically around the same amount of time Mm -hmm. and yeah I do feel like it was pointless although it was entertaining (laughs) it could have been prevented simply by Brandon Ingram just going back down the court yeah I agree like Max Kellerman said get in the weight room (laughs) but I mean you can't be mad at hey we playing basketball man you can't be getting mad because you got you got bullied I'm trying to score that's a fact. And if I can go to the hole and push you and not get – or not necessarily push you, but move you out the way the way that I did and not get called for an offensive foul, you're damn right I'm going to do it every time. You know it's not on me. I mean, I guess it kind of is on me to follow the rules, but at the same time, it's on the ref to enforce them. Yeah, exactly. That's now, a fact. I don't have anything to do with the ref not calling it. I'm just playing. Right. So, I mean – 
And then Brandon Ingram was also dead wrong for getting in the ref's face too, because that was a side of. And see, I I thought the same exact thing. I'm like, oh, he about to hit the ref, but the more I watched, they kept showing the clips back to back to back to back, and the more I watched it. I felt like he was trying to get at James Harden, and the ref obviously was in between the two. So I don't necessarily feel like Brandon Ingram was trying to attack the ref. I felt like he was trying to get at James Harden, and at the same time, the ref had said something like, uh, stop before I give you a tech or whatever it was. And Ingram's response, body motion-wise, was more tailored toward James Harden. But what he said, I'm obvious. Obviously, was probably toward the official. But I don't think Brandon Ingram was looking to attack the official in any way. Nah, see, that was my initial. Uh, my that's how I felt about it initially. But when I seen it a couple more times, it looked like he was looking down, talking to the ref, bro. Like I really think he was talking shit to the ref too. I don't know, I mean, man. I could be wrong because, I mean, we don't have audio. So, he, I mean, he could have been talking to James Harden. But to me, it looked like he was looking down at the ref. Yeah, I mean, it. I, I won't dispute that. I feel like a uh, few times I watched it, it definitely definitely looked like that as well. But for the most part, I felt like it was tailored from him trying to get at James Harden. <clears throat> most definitely. But um, just to touch on it a little bit, I feel like I also feel like the suspensions were definitely necessary. The situation itself i feel like we'll never really know whether the fight was necessary but me as a man if you intentionally spit in my face i'm probably going to have the same reaction as chris paul nine times out of ten i'm probably not even gonna put my finger in your face i'm probably gonna be the first one swinging my reaction probably gonna be even different than chris paul exactly he he tried to still keep it cordial. Exactly, and that's like, the bro, that's right the thing. Like we're gonna have to we it's really gonna come down to whether that spit was intentional because they've showed so many clips. They've even showed uh like the slow down slow mo clip where you can see spit coming from Rondo's mouth, but it doesn't to me. It doesn't look like a like I'm trying to spit in your face. It looked like a I'm talking spit came out of my mouth. Because and he had a mouthpiece in exactly too. because where the spit went, it didn't look like it went toward Chris Paul's face. But granted, Chris Paul was right there, so Chris Paul could have saw him puckering up his lip a certain way. Like I ain't gonna spit on you, but I will. And Chris Paul could have taken that as nigga, you not about to spit in my face, and then did what he did. But like I said, if it was an intentional spit. Chris Paul shouldn't have been suspended at all because he he went the he went the easy route. He could have really really could have really got a lot uglier than what it did. Like I said, if a man spits in my face purposely, there's no point in the finger in your face. I don't care where we are. I don't care if I'm at work. If you purposely spit in my face, we're fighting right then and there. It's yeah, just you're, going you're to happen. Literally- you're literally saying that's what you want to do is fight. Exactly. That's the ultimate disrespect. You spitting in my face is just like you swinging on me. It's the same exact thing in my book. So yeah, mine too. it really depends on where that where that came from. But at the same time, uh, <laughs> I feel like both parties had a... Uh, you could see why both parties reacted the way that they did. Because if Rondo didn't intentionally spit in his face... Knowing the hothead that Rondo is, 
you're not gonna put your finger and mush me on my forehead. Like that's <laughs> definitely not about to happen without me retaliating. And that I can see why. Like if I didn't spit in your face and you put your finger on my forehead and mush me, would you think I'm supposed to take that? Nah, I'm gonna react the way Rondo did. And if Chris Paul, if you were really spit on, I'm gonna react the way that he did. So I can see why both parties reacted. Only thing I can't see is why the hell Brandon Ingram came in swinging haymakers. Granted, I love it because I'm a Laker fan. I love to see players riding for players. But I don't think that that was his intent. I don't think he went in with the mindset of, oh, my nigga over here fighting. Let me go fight with him. He went from a, shit, nigga's fighting, and I'm already pissed. Let me go over here and get a punch in. I took it from that perspective. But No, I think think it was – him like shit, my team rocking. I'm, I'm out. We out here, and and like you said, he was he was hyped up too. Yeah, I he, feel like that played a lot in with it. him being a young player. He just, I don't know. It was dumb, definitely, but dumb and and dangerous. It was the most dangerous part of the whole situation. Extremely dangerous. But another thing that I want to touch on that nobody is really touching on as much as I feel like they should was LeBron's initial reaction. People that saw the the altercation, LeBron was smack dab in the middle of the situation. He's actually the one that separated um, Chris Paul and Rondo. And his reaction was, let me separate y'all by grabbing Chris Paul and taking Chris Paul to a completely different uh, place. I'm taking him away from all of this stuff. But he went further than taking him away. As that situation is dying down, Instead of going to rally with his team and make sure that his team's mindset is where they need to be, like, all right, man, put that shit to the side and being that leader that you need to be, fuck it. If they want to go out here and fight, let's beat them on the court. And being that guy, he's that guy that's like, shit, that's my best friend. So let me go make sure he cool. Yeah, bro, you straight? What's up? What 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 happened? How did that shit happen? The whole entire time he's got his arm around Chris Paul. Well, they still have about three or four minutes left in this game. And it's def- it's a close game. All the way down to the wire, it should have been. But at the but LeBron decides to have his arm around Chris Paul the entire time and doesn't leave Chris Paul until Chris Paul has to tell him, I'm good, bro, go, watch out, like, <laughs> go. Like, he really shoot LeBron away in order for LeBron to leave. And that shouldn't have been the case, I feel like. What was your take on that whole LeBron being the mediator? Exactly what you just said. That's exactly how I felt about it. I felt like LeBron should have been over there with his team. I felt like from the get-go, I felt like he should have even never even touched Chris Paul. Yeah, you and Chris Paul friends. Step in. I feel like step in, break it up. Move. Like, push Chris Paul away and turn toward your team. That's it, period. If if that's what you wanted to do is break up the fight, Chris Paul is definitely small enough for LeBron to to get him out of the way. Move. Chill. Chill. And with you knowing, you know and, and with you knowing him, that's that's one of your homeboys. That's your your boy. You know he's not the hothead type to be like that. You actually have to attend Draft. to the way that he did. And with with you trying to build new, you're trying to build chemistry with a new group of guys. Exactly. Man. Come on, LeBron. You like, come on. They looking at you like, uh, who side are you really us? on? Is he is he with us or is he with? Chris Paul. Right. And I like that's the reason why Chris Paul shoot him away. He's like, bruh, we ain't friends right now. Exactly. He still got time on the clock. Get away from me. Exactly. Like, come on, man. 
if you play sports, you already know, man. Between yeah, them we, lines. Bro, there's no friends. None. Right? It's even personal. It's just when that competitive nature is flowing, which I don't think LeBron really has much of. I don't know if it's just because he's been so good for so long that he's not really even used to having competition or well, I don't know, but he just, he just, I mean, I can't say he's not competitive because everybody at a professional level is competitive, but he's he not as competitive that, as I feel like he should be like, 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 you know how, like how Jordan was like, how he just wanted to win at literally everything. Yes. Like anything. It didn't matter what it was. Like if y'all played charades and you was nice and you beat him, he was going to buy charades. Get nice at it. So next time y'all play, he was gonna bust your ass. Like, Straight up, a competitor. Same way. Like it's just certain guys. Like Tom Brady's like that. Like, exactly. They don't want to lose. Like I don't feel like LeBron. Le- LeBron, like he always says, like he's got that mindset. Like it's bigger than basketball. Like technically, yeah, it is. But you couldn't tell Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant that, or Tom Brady. Like in that moment, in that game, there's nothing bigger than that. Exactly. But like, I don't feel like LeBron views it that way. I mean, I guess you can't fault him for it because technically his mindset is the correct one. But in order to be like crazy, crazy, crazy great at winning, you got to have that extra drive and actually like really, 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 really want to win. Like losing is not an option. Mm-hmm. Like you going to carry me off the field before I lose out here. I agree. And I feel like with him, I'll take it a step further. You're stepping into a new situation to where you've had your entire career in the Eastern Conference, your entire career you've heard. Oh, he in that weak-ass Eastern Conference. That's why he able to come out. That's why he able – you saw what happened when he was over there with the Celtics. He couldn't get over there. But now that the East is weak, he running through it. Now you got the opportunity to shut everybody up. Like, all right, not only am I going to leave the Eastern Conference – I'm gonna go to a team with a bunch of young niggas that we can really get it popping. We can we can we can make the playoffs. I can show y'all that we really that deal. I feel like he should have that extra chip on his shoulder to shut the critics up, which I don't see much out of him at all in these situations. LeBron looks to me, I I was kind of skeptical about why he went to LA to begin with. And the more that I'm watching LeBron, the more that I'm starting to see that. L.A. was the perfect place for him to go that had the least amount of pressure. Yeah, he just wants to chill. Going to Philly, he's going into a team who is ready to take is. that step. They already made the playoffs. We add a guy like LeBron, we're looking to go to the championship. You go to a team like Houston, you add a guy like LeBron, okay, yeah, now it's time for us to take that extra step and knock off Golden State. Those were the only other teams that LeBron was looking at. And then... There's the Lakers. A bunch of young guys here, at best, will be happy to make it into the playoffs. We make a five seed, that's exceeding expectations. So LeBron, to me, stepped into the perfect situation for him and who I believe LeBron is as a person. He's a guy that does not like that pressure. He doesn't like it. And that's not to diminish who he is because that he's still extremely great. He's still the best player in the world, but he often he has he often has times to where he likes to take the easy road. And I feel like that's what he's doing here. But staying on LeBron, let's uh let's talk about some of his uh letdowns that he's had. 
in that particular game, as I said, once Chris Paul, uh, Brandon Ingram, and Rondo were ejected, that game was still reachable. That was still a game that you can win. And you saw a guy like James Harden take his game to another level to close (laughs) that game out as James Harden does in so many other instances. Then you have a guy on the other end like LeBron who had the exact same opportunity to take his game to another level and win that ball game. He does not. He doesn't step his game up, not a bit. With you being the best player in the world and being in the situation like me and you both touched on, you've got a bunch of new guys who at this point now they really like, is he with us or not? Because we just saw how he handled that situation. The best way I feel like for LeBron to step up and show, now he don't even have to say, y'all know I'm with y'all. He don't got to say nothing. His game can go out there and speak, and I'm going to win this ball game for us. Y'all want to doubt what my mind is? Bet. Let's go out here and let's get this dubbed in. I didn't see that in him, and that's what I was expecting to see in that situation. Now, a step further, we just saw the Lakers, what was it, last night or the night before last, um, against San Antonio. LeBron misses crucial free throws, which would have been the deciding factor in that game. That's yet another letdown that LeBron has with the, with this Laker team, and he's not – I don't feel like they're doing enough talking about that. Would you agree? Do you think that LeBron is not – being LeBron or not being as LeBron as he should be. Yeah, but I mean, he, this is what he does at the beginning of seasons, though. I mean, not last year. Well, true, but he. I just think he he wants to chill. I just think he he's exhausted mentally. I don't mean chill like literally the whole season, but I, I like you said. I think he wants to get away from the pressure a little bit. Because eventually there's going to be pressure in L.A. too, as soon as next year. Mm-hmm. But I just think he just wants some time to get his mind right and and chill. I don't know. He he just look on the court to me. He just looks like he's chilling. Now, granted, he another thing he may be doing is trying to see who all is who all can do what. I don't believe it because Magic said when he came in to sign his contract, yeah, he broke that. down every player and what every player likes to do. And with the basketball mind that LeBron has, doesn't surprise me at all. I feel like coming in a practice, his first practice, he knows where you want the ball. He knows where you thrive. He knows where you don't thrive. That's just who LeBron is. He's that talented of a player mentally and physically to where he knows that already. So I don't think he's doing no filling out, but I'm not sure what he's doing. Yeah, the free throws, I don't even think you can even factor that in too much to this conversation because, I mean, he, we all know he's he's not the, he's not the best. Yeah, he's not the best free throw shooter. I mean, it's, it's disappointing to see him miss those from a clutch standpoint. But as far as free throws, I mean – that's just not what he does. It's not the first time we've seen him miss crucial right. free throws. But yeah, there's something that there's something different about LeBron for sure. Um, I, I I don't know what it is, but he he's not doing what we what you would expect out of him. Especially, I I don't think he really realized that how much 
of a difference it is to be in the West yet either. Because mm-hmm. you can't just be dropping games. Exactly. You, you know what I'm saying? Just because you don't feel like playing yet. You can't just turn it on like you can in the East. No, it's just not the same. Like, yeah, you're the best in the world. We get it. But come on. Like, you, you didn't drop three. You lost to the Spurs. <laughs> like, come on, bro. The Spurs. That's that's a game that y'all had to win yesterday, for real. I mean, it's tough to call a game a must-win this early in the season, but that was like the Spurs. You need right that. Now. Early, you need that. Yeah, come on, man. You got to get that dub, bro. That's- Especially the way y'all came back at the end, too. Being down six with a minute to go, that game's got to be closed out. Yeah, show your you team, show your team how shot. to win because that's been the problem with this Laker team for the last couple years. They've been in games. Last year, they were in a lot of games down the stretch, but they do not know how to win, and that's where you come in. Show yeah, these young guys be, how to win these exactly. games. He's supposed to be out there being the one like. I'm going to teach y'all how to win, but I'm going to teach y'all by showing y'all how. Exactly. I'm about to go out here and do it. Because, I mean, he, he can score whenever he wants to. Right. Like, why doesn't he want to score all the time? <laughs> that, it just doesn't it doesn't make sense to me, especially not with the ball club like this. But another thing I want to touch on with LeBron is I think a lot of it does have to do with what you're saying. He just wants to chill. And I feel like him signing a four-year deal with the Lakers gives him every right to chill this year because he's like, you know what? This is a project. It's going to take time for us to get to where we want to be. I'm not going to run myself in the ground this first year. We fuck around and go out and grab Kawhi or whoever else next year, and we're ready to contend, but I didn't ran myself in the ground for this year. I can pace myself. And then next year, when, it, when we really got the dogs to make that step, then I can actually become LeBron. But my rebuttal to that is with where you played last year, the level of play you had last year, you can easily take a step back and still be as effective as this Laker team needs you to be. You don't have to take a complete step back. You don't have to just fall into the shadows. You still need to be LeBron. You still need to be um it still needs to be evident that you're the best player on the court every night in, night out, but you don't have to take on as much as you did there because you have other guys here. Like last night, for instance, Kuzma stepped up. Lonzo even looked pretty good. I, Josh like Hart Lonzo stepped so up. Far this year. I am too, and that's, that's another dimension that LeBron brings. When, LeBron's, when LeBron is a part of this ball club, the other guys who are used to having all that attention don't have as much attention. Now you just got to go out there and play like Lonzo. We all know Lonzo can play, but this last year was Lonzo's first time actually being the center of the spotlight in a team like the Lakers. Like that's arguably the biggest platform that you can step on to. And if you have any glimpse of being not what you're supposed to be, it's going to be amplified 10 times just because you're in L.A. So now that he has LeBron there who has majority of the attention, he can just play ball. And that's, that's why it's extremely important for LeBron to teach these guys by showing, like you said. He has to be an example. Yeah, we struggle. Yeah, we may have lost other games. But like you said, that game against the Spurs, now we getting this one. 
we got to get this one. And I'm going to show you all how. Let's go get it right now. But, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just not seeing it out of him, and I don't get it. I don't. Yeah, it was extremely weird. Yeah. That, when when he made that M1 in overtime, put y'all up six, I was like, okay. You know what I mean? Like, there it is. Exactly. But, nope. He gives a, he let he basically let Rudy Gay just step into a three at the top of the key when y'all was up four. Yep. Boom. Then he misses the two free throws. Greg Popovich throw, draws up a beautiful play that I'm definitely <laughs> going to put in my playbook. <laughs> but quick hitter, fake the handoff. I mean, throw it into uh, Aldridge, fake the handoff back to the uh, inbounds man, dribble to the corner, hand it off to your point guard for the. Set the screen, one dribble pull up. Beautiful. Mills. It was beautiful. Beautiful. I mean, and then, I mean, it, people were complaining about the last shot that LeBron took. But for one, it wasn't a bad shot considering he knocks that shot down probably 15, 20 times every year. Yeah. And then another thing is you couldn't possibly think that he was going to put it on the deck and go to the rim and go to the free throw line. Uh, Again. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> There's no way that was gonna happen. Like, that also no. leads into that pressure conversation we just had. Like, fuck no, I ain't going through that again. He ain't have no, no thoughts about heading heading back to that free throw line. That's the fact. And if you've watched LeBron in a lot of other instances, you know that LeBron likes to settle for the jumper in most cases. Like, for that reason, I feel like I've never really thought about it much until like here recently, within the last year or so. But there are a lot of instances where niggas is like, you can get to the cup whenever you want to. Why are you settling for the jumper? Even back when he was with Miami. You know what's crazy is um, a lot of people tuned him out because he used to talk so much shit about LeBron. But that was one of his main criticisms about LeBron early in his career. Skip Bayless. That's a fact. That's a fact. He would never go to the rim at the end of games. And Skip always used to say, he don't want to go to the free throw line. He don't want to go to the line. That's a fact. I swear to God, you go back and listen to old first take, you will hear Skip Bayless say that shit every time he talk about LeBron. He does not want to go to the line late in games. He does not want to go to the line late in games. Like, that's one thing Skip Bayless definitely always said that did hold weight because he definitely is a LeBron hater. Like, there's no getting around it. Yeah. But that was yeah, factual. That, that, yeah, it really was. But. That now that is crazy. I just ain't thinking about it. <laughs> I didn't either. Like, <laughs> until you just said it. Like it really just hit me. Like damn, he right because I've heard Skip say that. Yeah, and it's, it's extremely evident that LeBron really does not want to be there. But enough about LeBron, man. Let's touch on uh, LeBron's former counterpart, man, Kyrie. Um, Kyrie is coming off of. Uh, knee surgery. He didn't play the end of last year. He took a lot of time off at the end of the year. Um, So he's still trying to get his basketball legs back. But my question to you is they're switching up their scheme a little bit. Him and uh, Terry, Scary Terry, have been playing a lot together. And Kyrie's been playing a lot off ball. So it hasn't been as effective as you would expect him to be. Granted, he he had a pretty good game. Um, was it last night, I believe? And it just—he's not looking like Kyrie the Great. He's just not looking like that guy. But my question to you is: 
is this a sign of rust or is Kyrie just incapable of playing off the ball? What do you think this the the reason for his struggles is? Um yeah, I'm I'm going with rust. Um Kyrie he he really hasn't looked all that bad off the ball, honestly. Um it's just I I don't think he's just I don't think he's all the way he's he's hundred percent healthy, but I don't think he he got a percent of his confidence back in his body. Not his game, but his body. Yeah. Like, I, I I think it's just gonna take a couple more games. Cause he's definitely been looking like Kyrie when he's it minus the first game. The first game I don't know who that guy was. <laughs> but yeah, I think he'll be fine. There's there's no reason to be alarmed. I think he's still gonna put up big time numbers this year. I agree. I agree as well. I'll, I'll uh, attribute his struggles to Rust as well because he's still making routine Kyrie plays. It's just that the shots aren't falling. And I feel like a lot of it has to do with his lack of conditioning as well. A lot of people don't really understand how difficult it is to not play basketball and then jump back into a game environment. It's yeah, not – go- I, I tried to talk about that – on here about Steph, not only did he have to come back into a game environment, rest the playoff as well, environment, the the playoffs against a tough team against the Rockets. Yeah, well, he had to come back against the Rockets, but his third game back was Game One in the Western Conference Finals. Like, yeah, that's tough. Like it's hard as hell to do. And a lot of people don't really understand that it's not just about being conditioned. Playing in an environment like the NBA, that brings it extra an an extra conditioning factor to it because you're already your emotions you're already jittery you're already on edge about just getting out there you're excited because you haven't played in a long time and then you got the crowd you got my teammates is out here going crazy they're really balling so now you feel like you got to do more than what you do it's a lot that plays into playing in a game environment people can scream Oh, we ain't had this so much time of practice. He's been practicing for this long. That playing in a game and practicing with your teammates is night and day. With me being a basketball player, I'll be the first to tell you there is nothing, there's no way to simulate an end game scenario. You cannot do it. You can try as far as practice or try to run the same type of scheme that teams run, but there are different elements that really play into in-game situations that you just can't simulate. You just can't do it. It's it's damn near impossible. So I'm and that's also all sports. Exactly. That's a fact. And I'm that's that's reason number one why I'm just gonna attribute Kyrie's play to Russ because I don't I don't believe that a guy that can fill it up as well as he can just can't play off the ball. I don't believe that. I just don't believe that. Not one bit. But um, let's get up out of here, man. Before we get out of here, though, let's get your, your weekly locks. What were your results from last week with your betting? Man, I was 2-2, two and two, man. Uh-oh. Yeah, dog. I started out the week great with that Broncos pick on Thursday. Them boys look crazy. It was the spread was only one. I, I knew they was gonna beat the shit out of the Cardinals. Right, and then um, on Saturday I got off to a good start too. Oklahoma looked good. 
But then we got to them last two games, and NC State just – Lord, I thought that was the the number – I put that on my list as number one. Yeah, I, I thought that they were definitely going to cover. They definitely did not cover. <laughs> and then Oregon, they got they got beat by two touchdowns at Washington State, so they ain't cover either. Yeah, I didn't think that that was going to be a two-touchdown loss, but I did like Washington State. And I, pre- I think I picked them last week, if I'm not mistaken, but – Let's touch on your your locks for this week. What's your uh, what's your locks? Yeah, I'm, I only got one college game for this week because I'm just that college shit is hard. Yeah, it's, it's it's been all over the place here lately. But I got I got WVU minus thirteen and a half against Baylor on Thursday night. Mm. They're they're in the mo and and it's gonna be rocking up there for a Thursday game. That's true. So I, and they're coming off a bye after a loss, too. So, I, I expect that offense to be potent this week. Okay. And then I got uh, the Eagles minus three against the Broncos. I got the Patriots minus 14 against the Bills. That's your big money game right there. Drop it all on that one. <laughs> I was about to say, I agree with that one 100%. <laughs> and then uh, the Redskins minus one against the Giants. I still – the Giants just ain't going to get it right all year. I got them winning four games. Oh, shoot. <laughs> if that, bro, they're just pathetic. Well, you heard it here Who's first, guys. Those are your locks for this week. Yeah, yeah. I just, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the Giants either, man. It's, it's pathetic. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing else to pretty much say about that. Pick'ems. All right. Number nine, Florida at number seven, Georgia. Who you got? I'm taking Georgia. I'm going to take Georgia as well. I'm going to take Georgia by a field goal, as I said. Game-winning field goal. Number 14, Washington State at number 24, Stanford. Who you got? Stanford. I took Washington State last week. I'm taking Stanford this week. I like Stanford in the upset. Um, Last college football game, number 18, Iowa at number 17, Penn State. Who you got? Penn State. I got Penn State as well. Uh, NFL number or not? No, no, no one got no numbers in here. Uh, <laughs> Cleveland at Pittsburgh. Who you got in a rematch? Pittsburgh. I got. Uh, I want to take Cleveland so badly because they just always too. are right there. Like they're just right there. But I gotta go with Pittsburgh. I'm going yeah, Pittsburgh. They're, they're way better at losing than they are at winning. <laughs> I agree. Um, New Orleans at Minnesota. Who you got? Mm. Give me, give me Minnesota, just because I need that cushion in the NFC. <laughs> give me uh, New Orleans. I like Drew Brees and company. Last game, Green Bay at your Rams. Pick and score. Who you got? Thirty-eight seventeen. Woo! Like yeah. that? We getting nasty. We about to really, sh- we about to show that we can play a little bit of defense too. I'm going to go 42-38 Packers. <laughs> that man, that man. You just ready for us to lose. That man. This know, is this is the week I'm more confident in any week. You know that's my guy. I, I love me some Aaron Rodgers. That's my guy. My favorite quarterback in the league, but in fact, that's my favorite no, quarterback in the week. league too, and that's the not reason why I'm taking him. I feel like it's going to be another one of those signature Aaron Rodgers moments. He's going to come down at the end of the game. 
marches bad boys down, whether it be uh, that they need a field goal to win or whether it be that they need a touchdown to win. Aaron Rodgers is going to march them down, and they'll get that victory. They'll be the first team to beat the Rams this year, and you heard it here first. I won't be mad. So everybody, when the Rams lose, don't be coming up to me. (laughs) We know ain't nobody going undefeated. It's just not happening in the NFL, and that's why I think it's time. It's time now for y'all to take y'all's first loss in. What better loss to take than to Aaron Rodgers? That way it won't be anything to where everybody's looking at y'all like, how they lose that or what's going on down there? This is a game where I feel like y'all can lose, and there's no need to panic. It means Aaron Rodgers, and they're due. They're due for one of those type games. So that's what I got this week. Y'all heard it here first, the picks, the locks, uh, great topics, and that's pretty much it. Sam, is there anything else you want to add before we get out of here? Yep, the chef has been cooking. <laughs> I know y'all been seeing it. Hey, I ain't picking for MVP, but I did tell y'all that I felt like this year was going to be a year that Steph was going to get back in that bag of his. He did say that, and Steph was in my uh, in my running for MVP. I couldn't add him on my list either, but he was definitely in the running. And him and KD gonna cancel each other. I grabbed him in fantasy. He was my number one pick off the board in fantasy basketball. So that shows how high I was at him. I grabbed him first, and I believe I had the last pick. It was only like six of us, six or seven of us, and I had the last pick in the snake. So it was last pick, first pick. I took him with my last pick, Ben Simmons with my next pick, and those two guys have been holding me down <laughs> majorly. And I got Embiid too, so my team is looking really good. Shout out to Steph, shout out Ben Simmons, shout out Embiid. Keep me rocking, guys. I need y'all. But that pretty much does it for this week's episode of the Pick and Roll Podcast. Y'all make sure y'all tune in. Keep giving us feedback, man. Like I like we've already said on previous episodes, some topics y'all want to hear, any guests y'all want to hear on here, reach out to us. Let us know what y'all want to hear. Let us know what topics y'all want to hear, who y'all want to hear. Uh, get on here and debate with us a little bit, but that's pretty much it. Signing out. It's your boy Ish. It's your boy Sam, man. Appreciate y'all for listening.